Welcome back to the Arbitrary Archive, the show where siblings DJ and Travis attempt to catalog all of human culture just one word at a time, all under the guidance of a sentient and hopefully benevolent artificial intelligence named Jeff. Every week, Jeff gives us a one-word category, and Travis and I must find a piece of media or artwork to contribute to the Arbitrary Archive that fits that category. This week, Jeff has given us the word blender. So, Trav, what were you able to find to contribute to the Arbitrary Archive and the category of blender? What's up, gamers? Um, (laughs) This week, both DJ and I apparently heard blender, and both of our minds kind of went in the same direction, which is... The idea of procedural generation in video games, and at least my justification for that, is the idea... uh, So procedural generation means you take a... Usually it it comes from like a randomly... You take a randomly generated seed, just like a series of numbers and and letters, and then you use that to uh, generate whole bunch of content within the video game so instead of like scripted events and um you know a a linear progression the games are able to just generate content uh, using random systems um using procedural generation these types of games tend to be a little more like player driven in terms of like what you're doing in them because procedural generation allows for just games that are just giant in scope that developers don't need to spend as much time making every single asset. So instead they can just focus on those procedural generation systems. So the game I'm talking about is a game called No Man's Sky. I forgot to look up when No Man's Sky came out. Let's see. No Man's Sky is a 2016 video game released on PC, Xbox One, PS4, and I think that's it. Yep. And it's a survival exploration game set in space. So you're a little person in an astronaut suit, and you fly around in a little personal ship, and you fly to all these planets that are all procedurally generated. So they follow certain categories. So it's like, oh, this is a frozen planet. So I can expect to find these types of minerals here, these types of plants, these type, these general categories of animals. Or this one is a desert planet. So I might expect to see this general list of things. But all of the, the terrain, the exact specificity, the exact specifics of the the creatures on the planet are all procedurally generated and uh there are these sort of like mini scripted encounters that are are written in like little quests that um repeat but they're they're essentially like mad libs right like a quest will be go to planet blank find blank number of blank thing and obviously because there's so many things that are procedurally generated that just one little one sentence quest can have so many different permutations Um, and then there are tons of those little scripted modules that are sort of uh, procedurally placed in all these different worlds you are in a completely vast uh, galaxy it's uh nigh impossible not nigh impossible it is impossible in one lifetime to even visit every place in no man's sky but one of the cool things is that the world is persistent for for everyone so if i were to go to a planet that someone else had visited i could look i could see oh 
this planet was discovered by, say, I'm going to a planet that you had discovered, DJ. It'll say discovered by you know DJ Wheeler, and I'll look at the uh, the creatures there, and it'll be like, oh, DJ named this weird donkey bug hybrid this name what and so you get to name the creatures and plants you find and if you happen to stumble upon a world someone else has found you can see sort of uh, those discoveries uh in action that's the general it, promise of no man's sky in that way the game almost becomes like this interesting simulacra of the internet right where it's like the the universe <laughs> you're exploring could could be imagined as like a, a a physical manifestation of what the internet is like all these other users and players kind of wandering around and i think that's a pretty compelling idea i, I like yeah. like you pointed out the vastness of it um it, it almost reminds me kind of of that uh black mirror episode where um like these these characters kind of get trapped in what is essentially like a star trek simulation uh-huh. uh no Man's Sky feels a lot like that to me. It's almost like you take these tropes from Star Trek, Star Wars, whatever other space operas you like. So think different planet types, different creature types. And as our category today suggests, throw them in a blender and then have them procedurally generate themselves right. into all these different planets. And it is really, it really kind of tugs at those, uh, kind of frontier heartstrings of like the the desire to explore and and uh and seek out interesting things in your world and in your universe. I think that's really what the game is is aiming for. Definitely. Uh, but as like watching videos and playthrough videos, I noticed there there is also an interesting mashup of like different basic gaming mechanics, some of which uh appealed to me, others did not. So I noticed there's like there's definitely a heavy part of the game is crafting and i was like oh boy crafting hope you like some inventory management because yeah it's like like computer voices telling you your inventory is full insufficient carbon nanotubes and it's like it's crafting for me just like it does not speak to me because it all just seems like okay i need to get this thing and then turn it into this thing so like i'll find some some ore dust I'll refine it into refine ore and then I'll get upgraded to supreme ore. And then once I do that, I can build a floor. Like it's just like, (laughs) it's just right. Yeah. It seems like arbitrary steps. Like why have those intermediary steps? If all they do is make you spend time. Yeah, exactly. And so, but the ironic thing is though, like, so after I'm watching through all these crafting steps, then I noticed that the player that I was following on YouTube, um, started exploring like the scanning part of the game. And suddenly I'm like, Ooh, compendium management. And it's just like, (laughs) that, that that is all like equally mundane to crafting. But for some reason that sort of speaks to me. I don't know. Like Trav, I know you and I both kind of grew up playing Pokemon and maybe that, that kind of speaks like the, the idea that you can go around these planets and scan the different life forms, be they flora, fauna. I think you can even scan like inanimate minerals and and things like that and, yep. and give names to them like like you pointed out something about the indexing of that is really appealing to me like if i ever played a tabletop game i would want to play like an archivist character or something so um so i i think the game seems to have so many different elements in it there's a chance that at least one of them or a handful of them will, will speak to you is is that what your experience was playing it trav yeah that's kind of what i wanted to get to so the story of this game is really interesting if people haven't heard it this game was 
as you can imagine, by a game that promises an, a nigh-infinite universe where everything is beautiful. Like, the game is gorgeous, by the way, where everything is beautiful and you're exploring all of these different places and you can find these... You can build bases on things and, like, make places your own. The hype train for this video game was... So massive that even a non-gamer like me would, every time I logged on the internet, I saw articles about No Man's Sky. Yeah, yeah like, you couldn't go on Facebook without seeing, like, the the original, I don't know if it was an E3 demo or a, or whatever, but you, you couldn't move without hearing people be like, oh, No Man's Sky is gonna change video games forever! And it's this, like, <laughs> It's this tiny team, right? Like, it's an independent, it's an indie game. It's not a AAA title. And so inevitably, when the game released, it was a massive disappointment. And it had the, the highest drop-off. Uh, so Steam is a extremely popular platform to uh, for PC video games. So it's like, it acts as both a, uh, a store, a digital store from which you can buy games and also... Um, sort of like a social network of you can like have a friends list and things like that and you can join people's games so no man's sky i think still has has the record for the quickest drop off in player count um, in steam history because back in 2016 this was a very different game it was it was basically unfinished and was you know, still had all of these planets that you could go around, but what everyone found out was there was really nothing to do in any of them. It was incredibly buggy, and it was just a vast but empty world. Um, and so no one played it for years. But and and people were incredibly angry. That shouldn't be understated. Death threats were thrown <laughs> at this at this indie developer. Everything That's under so the sun. Bad. Terrible. Video games are canceled. Um, but. Little by little, Hello Games, the developer of No Man's Sky, just kept adding updates and adding updates. And like, you know, it probably they probably shouldn't have released it in 2016, right? This sort of unfinished game, but they did. And even though there's no uh, immediate benefit to them, th this isn't a game with like microtransactions. Once you purchase it, it is a you know upfront. You purchase the game. That's the only purchase you make. They kept releasing these free updates. Free update after free update. People said, yeah, it's getting a little better. It's getting a little better to the point where the most recent update, uh, most recent sort of large scale update uh, entitled Next has added so much to the game that I think it was like it increased the active player count tenfold when it released because at this point people have thought, oh, this kind of is the game that I was promised way back in 2014 or 2015 when the game was announced and people are sort of rediscovering it and finding, you know, turns out if you spend however many years they spent originally developing the game and then two more years uh, updating it and refining it, you do end up with a with a much more polished experience. And like you said, there are so many systems in it now. There's there is crafting and scanning and spaceship battles and pure exploration and you can have a freighter that 
that is like your capital ship and you can command these frigates to go on missions and you can do quests that have various results and all of the planets have these different like structures that you can explore and uh, you can trade and you can you know try to make money and you can uh, try to win the favor of either three of these different guilds or three of the different races that have alien races that have empires throughout the planets and even if none of those systems are you know quite as good as a game that's dedicated to a handful of systems would would handle that that system if that sentence makes sense even if they're not completely polished and completely perfect as they were they would be if it was a game just dedicated to that idea because you can spend you know 15 minutes playing this one aspect of the game and then you know something shiny catches your eye and and you're like oh i could also be doing some spaceship battles right now and then you do that for 15 minutes and then you end up picking up an item that you needed to complete a quest so you're like oh i'll i'll you know i i'll complete that quest and then when you do that you're at the space station so you're grabbing other quests and you're like oh i'll just do those and you find yourself playing uh, much longer than than you thought because you're just go- bouncing from idea to idea and it's really fluid in this way that it's sort of like anti-completionist because you know it's impossible to explore everything or to do everything. So so your attention is just brought to all of these different uh, systems whenever they seem most fun and then you just do that for a while and then because you know you'll never complete that system because that's impossible, that, that sort of mini game, you just jump to another one. Um, and I'm finding that aspect of it really satisfying. Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't get to actually play the game, but the playthrough videos that I watched um, made me think that, yeah, there, there are so many different elements available to you that invariably I would find something that I would end up enjoying. I was going to ask you, Trav, is there... Is there like an aspect of the game like I think what would be most interesting for me is like exploring like alien ruins and stuff. Is there oh. an element of the game? Oh, like you got that? alien ruins up the wazoo, DJ. <laughs> um, That's pretty this whole, rad. So there's this whole like lore aspect where when you talk to the aliens, they just speak in gibberish because you don't speak their language. But you can start learning their language word by word, either by um, bartering with them or by exploring uh, structure their structures or by exploring ruins of that empire's old structures. And as you do, you can actually start to read what they say. Um, so there's that aspect, but also, uh, you, you learn eventually that like the cute and sort of like economic focused Gek empire that are just, they're traders, uh, T-A-T-R-A-D-E-R, not traitor, uh, traders, um, you you can actually find out if you talk to enough of them and have enough of their language that ages they evolved from a from a species ages ago that was like this warlike species and you can like start exploring the the ruins of that precursor species that was extremely uh, aggressive and you can sort of like chart how it how they change so yeah there's a ton of that that's so that's so rad it's almost like so ha- having not played the game. I don't know if I could recommend it per se, but it, it certainly looks in, intriguing to me. And I, I almost like I sort of respect the fact that the de- developers decided to take on this Sisyphusian task of trying oh, yeah. to like respond to all the I- extreme <laughs> criticism <laughs> it took them from two the years gaming because community. <laughs> it's a lot of work, but they seem to have done it. Yeah, absolutely. Like it. Uh, I, I don't know. The gaming community has never been 
one that I don't, it seems like it definitely had some dark sides to it. So the fact that they were willing to like take that criticism calmly and try to adapt it into the game is, I think it's respectful. So before I throw it over to you, DJ, there are uh, quite a few negative things I I should point out, and they mostly surround bugs because the game is is so massive. Inevitably, you're going to have things that don't work. I've got I've found myself caught in like I land my ship next to a building and then when I hit, you know, square to get out of my ship, my character walks right into and under the floor of the building and then I'm stuck there and I look up online if there are any solutions and the suggestion is, well, have a have a friend who has the game uh, hop into your game and then use explosives to kill you. Then you should respawn outside of the building. Uh, that's frustrating. I can't even count on one hand. The no- can't even count on both hands the number of quests that I've started that just completely uh, break. There's some bug that makes them uncompletable, and then you have to abandon the mission, which makes the people who gave you that mission angry at you, even though you didn't do anything. That includes the like main quest i can't do anything in the main quest because i'm supposed to build a thing that requires a component part that i was supposed to get the blueprint for from a previous quest in the main quest but that quest bugged and didn't give me the blueprint so i am i cannot proceed in the main quest (laughs) and yet i still love this game and i'm playing it uh more than I, i i i am finding myself putting more hours in this game than i've put into uh, video games in recent memory because I generally think I don't really have time to really dig into a video game, but apparently I do because I've dug into this one. Um, So it's a a pretty big recommendation from me. Um, But DJ, I'll throw it over to you. What is your contribution this week under the category of Blender? Yeah, so when you mentioned that you were contributing No Man's Sky, I thought, you know, I've been playing a procedurally generated game. I think that's I was inspired by your choice, Trav. So I'm going to contribute the indie roguelike video game called The Binding of Isaac, which was originally released in 2011. This is a game created by Edmund McMillan and Florian Himsel. And the premise of the game is that you... The protagonist of of the game, the your player controlled character, is a little boy named Isaac. And when I say little boy, I mean like really little. Like he's basically either a baby or a toddler, like somewhere within there. And he lives alone with his mother. His mother watches like too much cable Christian programming, and eventually starts hearing voices that tell her she believes she hears the voice of God telling her that she needs to prove her devotion to him by sacrificing her son Isaac by killing Isaac so Isaac like hears this through the doorway or something and gets really scared and he runs into the basement of their house and so that's where the roguelike elements of the game come in the actual gameplay is you playing as Isaac exploring the basement of the house and trying to (laughs) escape your uh your mother before she before she kills you. Now, talking about the story in a roguelike procedurally <laughs> generated game is kind of burying the lead a little bit, yeah. but I want to camp out on it for two reasons. One is um, modern retellings of 
biblical Old Testament stories is like totally in my strike zone. Uh, so see also the Coen Brothers film from a few years ago, uh, A Serious Man. And by a um, few years ago, you mean like 10 years ago because we're really old <laughs> and time means nothing to us anymore. <laughs> That's exactly. I'm, we're stuck in a state of arrested development. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, it is from a while back, but that's a great movie. And just, yeah, there, there's so much... Uh, meaningful pay dirt that can be mined from these these stories and these narratives. So I, I like when they're kind of retold in a, in a modern context, and I think that's the case with this game as well. The other reason is that um, although the game is somewhat didactic in what it's saying, I, I feel pretty strongly about this issue. So if you're a person of faith, and I would include myself in that categorization as well as include myself in what I'm about to say— you are particularly vulnerable to anyone who wants to take advantage of you by yeah. pretending that they also share that belief system. So if you hear someone saying nice things about, you know, the the deity or the God that you believe in, there's this tendency in, in the brain to think, oh, you know, they're such a great person. They're like me. I should believe everything that they say. And suddenly they're we, on my side. Right. Suddenly we shut down like all of our critical thinking faculties and we, we just accept everything that that person is saying. And that is incredibly dangerous, especially like in a society that in some ways is built upon, like, if you can take advantage of someone that's in some ways a legitimate way of making money, um, that there's some super dark and I would say evil ways that people get taken advantage of in that regard. And so, I don't know, it, it's just a topic that I felt strongly about. And I, I had never really expected a video game to explore those ideas, much less a roguelike video game. <laughs> so immediately this this was super compelling to me. So let's talk about the gameplay a little bit, which is absolutely wild. Um, yeah, it's something else. So the the aesthetics of the game are interesting because basically all the monsters, creatures, bosses, mini-bosses that you encounter as you're kind of grinding your way through this dungeon are all variants of some kind of baby-like creature. And it's almost like it's almost like you're seeing this world of terror through Isaac's eyes. So he is a baby, and so he doesn't know much else other than what it is to be a baby. And so all these bizarre creatures he's seeing, he somehow uh, perceives them as if they are also these deformed evil babies that he has to fight. Um, so that's pretty wild. And then let's talk about the power-ups. So not only are the dungeons procedurally generated, so like every room you walk into is in some ways probably different than any of the other rooms you will ever walk into in all the times you play this game, but there's also a huge library of different power-ups you can discover throughout the game. Basically, the rhythm of every run, if you will, an attempt at navigating the dungeon is called a run. Every run you do, there's this basic rhythm of you complete a level by fighting monsters, exploring that dungeon, and then collecting like one or two power-ups each level. The cool thing about these power-ups is that as I mentioned, they're widely diverse, all kinds of different effects. And in a lot of cases, those different effects will stack on top of each other and create these absolutely wild combinations that often will just break the game. And you'll um, probably but never get again because there are just so many. <laughs> it's like, oh, remember that one t people who have played this game, people who are dedicated to this game and have played it countless times could probably still say, 
Remember that one time where I got this power-up that did X, this other one that did Y, and this third one that did Z, and it completely changed the way I was playing the game. And they probably won't ever get that combination again. It's a super cool experience and obviously adds to a great deal of replayability. Like the example that I wanted to share was I was I was playing a run recently where Isaac was shooting coins out of both sides of his head and the coins when they touch something would then trigger chain lightning throughout the whole room it was just and then i ended up losing the run and it's 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 wild because this game is also extremely difficult yeah. and I, maybe i'm just not like not good at games anymore but uh my win loss ratio on running these dungeons is incredibly embarrassingly poor um this is a a very challenging game but yeah. it's not really about i don't think just winning every time it's about the experience of how these random elements come together and, and sometimes super fascinating combinations and there's also this, this element of you know in a normal non-procedurally generated dungeon crawler where like everything is is kind of set in stone you're almost encouraged to explore every room and find every little nook and cranny and unlock every because little someone thing. put it there right exactly someone put effort for it to be there in this game there's this interesting tension of you know what this there might be some super awesome power up in this room i haven't explored but i don't have many hearts left and i don't know if it's worth the risk of me fighting my way to that room i might not be able to defeat the boss if i go try to explore this other room so you're always doing kind of this risk analysis calculus as you're working your way through the dungeon and that's super fascinating to me too and most oftentimes i fall into the trap of i need to see what's in that room and then i'm like <laughs> i should not have done that i really should not have done that um so yeah i i had a lot of fun playing this game and uh, so I played it on the PS4. I bought a version of the game called uh, The Binding of Isaac Afterbirth. I guess uh -huh. it's like an, an expanded version of the game. Yep. Um, and it's extremely difficult. I, I don't know if the, the original game was like this, but it seems every time I feel like I've completed a run, the next run I do is then one level longer <laughs> with an, an even more difficult boss at the <laughs> end of it. So I don't think I've even successfully gotten to the full end of the game yet. And as you pointed out, there's all kinds of power-ups to explore, different monsters to register in the compendium, a thing that I like, as I mentioned before. So um, I, I really recommend this game because not only is, the, not only is the, the gameplay fun, but I think the concepts introduced are also interesting. Uh, it's pretty dark and mm -hmm. violent and upsetting in those ways. So just a caution there. If, I mean, there's like a lot of blood on the screen a lot of the time. So yeah, just a, a warning there if you're not into games like that. But yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with it. It sounds like you've, uh, you've played this once or twice too, Trav, huh? Yeah, I have. I uh, Ed McMillan's work is is fantastic. He's also the same developer behind Super Meat Boy, uh, which is one of the best indie independent platformer games ever created. Um, and Binding of Isaac is one of the best indie roguelikes, maybe just one of the best roguelikes ever created. So yeah, I, th I think you've done a fantastic job describing both what's interesting about the story and what's interesting about the gameplay. So I won't talk about really the, either of those aspects because I, I would just be repeating you. Um, but I do have sort of a different read of the aesthetic than you do. You were talking about how um, everything is, there are all these different 
other babies in the basement and <laughs> things like that. And and I think the your read is interesting. I think the read of like that's the only thing he understands. Uh, so that's the only thing he sees. I think that's interesting and that's definitely a possible read of it. But um, I've always read it closer to like the central abuse narrative of the story where even bef- in that opening narration, even before it talks about how Isaac's mother is told by God to, uh, or she thinks she's told by God to, to kill Isaac. Um, there are other moments where she's, where she thinks God tells her to do other things bad things to Isaac, like take away all of his toys because they're sinful or lock him in his room because uh, he needs to be separated from the sinful world around him. Um, And so it's clearly this like uh, abuse story. And what I think is interesting about the the choice of the aesthetic once Isaac does get into the basement and everything is these weird um, sort of uh, uh, grotesque uh, baby creatures. Um, I read that as like when you're a child and you're you're suffering the type of a, and I, you know I don't know this personally because I'm not I I did not have this experience but I could imagine that if you were a child and you had this experience where uh, the adults in your life or at least like your parents are telling you that you know you're 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 like terrible you're completely uh, ruined by sin and like you're you're a, you're a, you're a corrupted person that when you're at that age and you have so little agency anyway, and everyone around you is telling you that, that you're just bad by nature, you, you have to think, well, I must've done something at some point. I, I'm, they must be right. Cause I'm the kid and they're the adults. So they must know what the situation is. And so, but you're all like, you're like three years old. So is it like, I did something wrong when I was a baby or something. And so you end up seeing all in, in binding of Isaac, you see all these weird, violent babies. Some of them still have like umbilical cords attached to them and stuff. And that's sort of my read of it, which I think is also an interesting way to explore that sort of psychological abuse. So I think there's with how little like quote unquote story there is in this game. I think it, I think it does a lot with its imagery. Yeah, I think my favorite episodes of this show that we do, Trav, are the ones where you and I get to explore like different readings of, of yeah. the material we contribute. And the fact that we get to do that with a roguelike video game is, is super with, fascinating with to that me. Ha- that has like uh, a minute and a half of an opening narration and then like no dialogue ever again. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, yeah, this is uh, this is definitely a recommendation from me. Super, super compelling game, and uh, and yeah, Blender I think was an interesting topic for us. So maybe we should try contributing video games more often. Yeah, let's see what our word is for next week from the artificial intelligence, Jeff. For sure. Frigid. Frigid. This is a real good one, DJ. Our word for next week from the artificial intelligence, Jeff, is frigid. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, it's such a good category. Um, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash show. You can email us at arbitraryarchive at gmail.com. Please write and review us on iTunes. The fifth star is our favorite. Our theme music is by Alistair Forsyth of the podcast Bite Sized Lemons. And as always, if in creating this archive we inadvertently caused the very apocalypse that we were trying to prevent, we sincerely apologize. Sorry.